Welcome to Farming Internal, an eternal podcast for farmers hosted by me, Patrick, or Padumaro, and Hats on Lamps. It's episode 92. Whoa. <laughs> it's episode 91. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. So last week we had, um, I think, such luck replacing our card of the week segment with uh, you explaining things that I didn't bother reading that we thought we would run this back. And so in lieu of a main topic, I've heard rumors that Shab wrote an article about five color decks and I, of course, didn't bother reading it. So I, was, I thought we'd take this opportunity for this episode for you to maybe summarize some of the things that were said in that article. That's an interesting take on on our topic this week. (laughs) An interesting and unexpected way of looking at it. I mean, obviously, I'm sure I read it. But, you know, for the sake of the audience. Oh, sure, sure. I'm going to act like I haven't read it Uh so you can explain it to me. Me, someone who has has not read it. (laughs) I'll do do my best. I'll try. And then for those of you wondering, this is Hats on Lamps, my uh, <laughs> my explainer of all things. Yeah, I explain things. Hopefully you've read Shab's article more than you read that uh, Discord discussion from last week. No, no, I haven't. I'm trying <laughs> to tell you that. <laughs> I've, I, 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 I didn't read it carefully enough to explain the whole thing. I liked that it existed. I got the gist of it. And then I took it and ran with it myself. And I'm going to give you my perspective on the topic uh, rather than just repeat an article that anyone can go and read. Uh, this is this is Shab's article on drafting five factions in Eternal. Uh, he was inspired in turn by BetterUp, uh, who is uh, an excellent drafter, uh, common site on the in the top 10 Masters ranks and uh, has been having some success drafting five-color in this format. Uh, Shab wanted to report on that. Did that. Everyone go read that article that Shab Shab wrote. Uh, It's on Eternal Warcry, and you can find it through our Discord. Um, But I am not an expert on BetterUp's approach to draft. I can only tell you what I've done myself and my take on it. Okay. Yeah, well, that's that's what I was saying. And so we'll... Not in so many words, but yeah, that's just exactly. Right. Well, so for those of you who also skimmed uh, Shab's article, I think this will be a great follow-up. Yeah, it will. Uh, I would, I would, I would love it to if 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 everyone just tried drafting five color for a whole week, and then that's all we saw in the seven win drafts. Because it's not like anybody else took up the torch other than me in our Discord and tried doing it. <laughs> whoa, no, whoa, time out. I did a little research and practical study for this. I I attempted two five color drafts in a row. I was waiting until how was your draft week to talk about it. Well, you can still wait until then. Okay. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> before we talk about our draft week, we like to thank our patrons at patreon.com slash farming eternal. These are the brave, the strong, the people who support us summarizing things we've vaguely read or hardly know about. They want to support that with their hard-earned money and have us talk about these things week after week. And we appreciate every single one of you. 
In fact, this week we have a brand new patron, Disc Golf Dan. Yay, uh, Disc Golf Dan. Former streamer, I assume. I haven't seen them stream in a long time, but they at one point did stream. And maybe we'll one day stream again, TBD. They did sign up to the Patreon. So thank you very much, Disc Golf Dan. As well as our uh, veteran patrons, potentially, uh, Cotillion, Loki Trickster, Sigma Tank, Mercurial Blue, Abednego, Meagles, Madness, Parmalee, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hex, Jed the Homrid, Raven Dragon, Esrid0215, Sunblaze, Work Done Sun, and Yist Out. Thank you for your support uh, week after week, month after month, uh, in perpetuity. We really appreciate it. <laughs> yes, we do. So, uh, how was your draft week, Cots? It was good. I, I haven't actually been playing a lot of Eternal, but uh, but I was inspired by Shab's article, so I tried drafting five color a couple of times. I did uh, two drafts in a row that way. They both went seven wins, and uh, they're very different decks. Um, and so I'm gonna, uh, based on that experience, pretend like I'm an expert on this topic. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, well, I, I have a similar story. Um, I I think I maybe this happened uh, before we recorded our last episode, but um, I was on a bit of a rough streak, and then I managed to do three seven-win drafts in a row and was, like, feeling great about life and feeling great about Eternal again. Uh, but also playing it still a little bit less and pacing myself. And then... Um, I went camping in our backyard with uh, my two kids and we got our mattresses. I got the, we were out there. I got the kids asleep and I was like, you know what? Right before I fall asleep, I'm pretty tired, but I'm going to play a game of arena on my phone. Cause I was like, I don't really feel like playing constructed right now. And I don't want to get upset playing draft if I lose. So I open up arena and it requires an update, which I can't do from where I was. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll just play a game and draft. Well, four drafts later. Oh, no. And, oh, no. And a pretty dismal record. Oh, dear. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to play one more draft and then just to get the draft over with. I'm just going to do the draft and play one game and then win or lose. Um, go in the bed and then I drafted this horrific five color deck and then I won and then I went to bed then the next day I played and I went five three with this horrific five color deck one of my losses was to me decking myself because I had a pinnacle of the reach in the deck and the pinnacle of reach is a, a primal rare it's three primal and it says you get to draw an extra card each turn, you and your opponent. Mm-hmm. And so I was using this pinnacle of reach to dig for a consuming greed to sacrifice my pinnacle of reach. Um, uh-huh. Which uh, works surprisingly well. I also had some really good other cards in it. And because I was five color, I had like a lot of removal and a lot of this thing. So it seemed like the deck four pinnacle reach. Anyway, it was a lot of fun. It went five three. It felt really good, despite it was and I, it was a way better record than my previous four drafts. Uh, then I drafted another five color deck, which was even worse, and mostly was worse because it had stricter influence requirements than my first one. And then that one inexplicably also went five three. Two of my losses 
were just getting run over by fire decks, and then one of them was someone curved out with like a turn two Mabel off delete kind of kind sure. of thing. Yeah, so that was my draft week was having a horrendous time drafting really good looking two color decks, and then drafting two nonsense three color or five color decks, and then having a winning record. Well, that's great. I mean, we both had good experiences doing doing what we're going to be talking about this week on the podcast. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. I would say drafting those decks really made me wish I had read Shab's article. Uh-huh. <laughs> so he sort of had some kind of guidance heading yeah. into it. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but for those of you in the same boat, I think this episode will really help. So that's great. So uh, shall we move to card of the week? Uh, let's do that. Yeah. Uh, card of the week. What's your card of the week? Oh, my card of the week is the aforementioned Pinnacle of the Reach, um, which is a three primal. It's a relic. It says at the start of each player's turn, they draw an additional card. So my question is, you put it in that deck that you were talking about. Yeah. Was there a plan other than sacrificing it to a corrupted, a corrupted greed, a corrupting greed? Corrupt greed? Agreed? Consuming greed. Consuming greed. Uh, vaguely. So the other place it really worked is I also had a left right courtier and yep. not that many relics. Okay. But my other thought, so here is my thinking with this card, because it seems on its face not great because it's it's a symmetrical effect. Your opponent's also drawing more cards. Yeah, and you're down a card because you played a pinnacle of reach. Right, because you played the card. But if you have like if you have a left right courtier on the board, you sort of make up for that. Left right courtier, by the way, is uh, a, a two primal shadow uh, zero three unit, and whenever you play a relic, you uh, draw the top power card from your deck. Yes, and then the other thing is with the consuming greed, you sort of make up for it because your two cards are now turning into two units. Sure. Um, but uh, the my other thinking was, as a five-color deck, I theoretically have more, like, as in numerically more powerful cards than my opponent. Also, I have cards I'm specifically looking for, which is my five-color of influence that... The more cards I see, the more likely I am to hit all my influence requirements to play these numerically more powerful cards. Sure. So I thought all of that together, I also had a pretty low relic count, and so I was really trying to get this left right courtier to work. Sure. Um, and it, it worked surprisingly well. Uh, every time I drew it, I drew a lot of cards. My opponent drew a lot of cards, but then my cards just ended up being better than their cards. And I won a bunch of games. Even the game I lost by decking myself, that was mostly because all of my really good cards were in like the bottom 12 cards of my deck, which didn't give me enough time to like turn the corner. You know, I I had turned the corner and I needed one more turn to kill them. But I, I... was unable to do that. I, I ran out of cards before that happened. But it played surprisingly well. And uh, 
I was wondering what you thought about that concept, but uh, the listener can't see this, but I, I've seen your face, this whole description of mine for Pinnacle of the Region. It was, it was a lot, there was a lot of looks of surprise. So I, uh, I think maybe there are things going on in my surroundings that account for some of the looks on my face. I have a, a face that, that betrays everything all the time, unfortunately. Uh, but one thought that I had is that there is a common that is similar to Pinnacle of the Reach in some ways, which is Gate Crash Trooper. That's the 3-2 with Aegis, uh, cost 4 Primal, and uh, when you draw it, both players draw a card. And, uh, and I, I asked about this card on a Discord once, just like because I had just had a very good deck that was playing two of them. And I just sort of wanted to know if people, what people thought of it. Most people said unplayable. You know, we've got very good players on our Discord, and all of those people said you just don't ever play it unless you've got a lot of soldier synergy. So the equivalent would be uh, Relic Synergy with uh, Pinnacle of the Reach. But I remember thinking that I was getting a lot more out of the card that I drew than my opponent was with that particular deck because I was playing a soldier deck where a lot of my individual cards were kind of weak, but they were incredibly powerful when put together. And I figured the more cards I drew, the more chance I would have to take advantage of actual synergy. Um, whereas my opponent, I was betting, would not get that as much as I was out of drawing extra cards because they were probably playing more individually good cards. And that bet paid off for that particular deck because that deck was really good. So I can imagine that happening with Pinnacle of the Reach, but I would need Relic Synergy like you had with the Left Right Courtier before I played it because it feels like most of the time it would be a liability otherwise. Yes. I I definitely agree. I don't think this is a card for every deck, but it did feel like in the a lot of the games uh that I played Pinnacle of the Reach because I sort of built my deck with this card in mind, like you just said, like my opponents didn't seem prepared to to use all of the cards. Y you know what I mean? Yeah. That said, though, when I am playing against someone who draws a Gate Crash Trooper, I always think, yay. Because I draw a card, and I usually am prepared to take advantage of that. <laughs> yes. Whereas they are going to have to play a 3-2 at some point. Right. No, I I uh, I agree with that to some extent, but I do think there's a difference with Pinnacle of the Reach where you're drawing multiple cards. Sure. And like obviously this doesn't always happen, but like if you know, if you build your deck with a lower curve in mind, right? And then your Pinnacle you're double spelling every turn because of your Pinnacle of the Reach, but your opponents may be dropping you know, is because they they weren't expecting to draw two cards a turn. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? They might have a lot of four or five and six drops, and they're unable to take advantage of that. While you're able to, like, play a unit and play a removal spell. Or, you know, in this case, like, for example, my I also had, like, a Decoro. So I was, like, really excited to, like... Draw, you know, I didn't yeah. care how many cards my opponent had if I was also digging to my sort of game-winning cards. Well, I'll tell you, the I haven't played against somebody who had a pinnacle in their deck, 
But if I saw someone play it and I had a cent to market in my hand, I would be saving it till the last minute. I would not spend it on some medium unit because I figure if they're playing Pinnacle of the Reach, they've got something that they want to draw every game and I want to mm-hmm. be able to kill it. Yes. But because you're, that's the thing though, because you're a five faction deck, you have multiple things that they're going to want to kill. Sure. Yeah. It just makes me, it would make me, it would make me play more cautiously with my removal than normal. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Or if I'm playing an aggressive deck, I would play even more aggressively. Like I would take tempo plays wherever possible because I don't want my opponent to get whatever advantage they think they're going to get from Pinnacle. Yes. Not, it wouldn't necessarily win me the game, but I would definitely adjust what I was doing. Uh, yeah. No, I agree. And I don't think it's a great card, and I don't even know if it was right to play in this deck. I mostly kind of played it as a lark for the reasons I described yeah. before, and I was surprised at how well it did its job. Of finding me good cards and finding me power when I needed influence. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, which are things that these decks want. And I think also these decks tend to have a lot of relic synergy because relics are kind of doing a powerful thing in this format. Yeah, they are. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, when we when we talk about uh, when we talk a little bit more um about the decks that i drafted in the later on i'll get it one of them was very relic centric so uh we can get into that a little bit more because there's some specific reasons why five color is good with relics yeah and but i mean i do like relic decks in general but both of mine had sort of this relic sub theme going on too yeah for sure i would expect that to happen with five color a lot not with better ups decks of course but uh with uh, five color in general all right and so what is your card of the week well i wanted to talk uh briefly about black out the skies which is a shadow spell it costs one shadow it's a fast spell uh, and it says the enemy player sacrifices a unit with flying of their choice and amplify four they sacrifice an additional unit with flying so you have to sacrifice two units if you cast it for five and if you cast it for nine, they sacrifice three. Um, and I was thinking about this card again. I honestly don't remember if we've talked about this card before. Uh, but I was uh, I was watching a random Twitch stream from a, a player that I didn't recognize. Uh, they were drafting. I don't know if they specialize in drafting, but I think they're not like, you know, a full-time drafting, drafting streamer. Um, and they might have been fairly new to the game relatively speaking uh but they were playing three blackout the skies in their deck and they seemed to think that they had a pretty good deck going and i thought that can't be right uh three is too many i think probably two is too many (laughs) (laughs) and it's a very situational card but there are a lot of flyers in the format but on the other hand a lot of them are like one ones so like your blackout the sky sometimes doesn't do a lot and when it's bad it's real bad because it does literally nothing um, when it's good, it can be very good because it can two for one somebody. If like they've got two big flyers and they wait with a blackout the skies, sure that really wrecks you. Um, but is it worth taking up a slot in your deck for the chance that that might happen? Not every deck, not every game comes down to flyers. 
Um, and indeed, I watched that stream a little bit more, and the deck did not do well. And it often did not do well with one or two Blackout the Skies in hand. And the streamer never seemed to make the connection uh, that they were ha that they had these dead cards in their hand and somehow were losing at the same time. And maybe it was because one was because of the other. <laughs> uh, it was just an, it was just interesting because I know Blackout the Skies is fine as a one of index, but it's one of the first things that I cut a lot of the time because all of all of the other cards in my deck are going to be more reliable on average. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting because Blackout the Skies is one of those cards that went from my completely unplayable to uh, you know this is a market card to eh, I'll happily play one in the main deck. So yeah, I've kind of I feel like I've gone uh, <laughs> to the other direction. I know this is like a card that like. Sort of Tempest Dragon King is kind of the person who always plays a blackout the sky, skies in their deck. And then that sort of eventually I was like, oh, I'll give it a try. And every time I play it in a deck, it tends to find at least a target. Um, well, I'll tell you why I don't always want to play it, even though I'm fairly confident it will often find a target. Is if I have enough removal in my deck then I don't need the Blackout the Skies because I can kill any flyer with my other removal, but that other removal will also kill things on the ground, <laughs> whereas Blackout yes. the Skies won't. Um, and so the only reason to play Blackout is, is the possibility of tagging two flyers because that's when it's actually good as opposed to just being an extremely situational removal spell um, that gives yeah, your opponent the choice of what to kill. I guess. I mean, I think obviously it's it's at its best when you get the two or three for one. But, you know, there are cards like there can be like an annoying um, side, side street monitor. Is that what it is? Is that the two one? Yeah, that's the two one with regen. Yeah. Yeah. Like that you want to get rid of. And it would sure feel bad to play a send to market on that. It but, would. Or a gravity glove for that matter. Yeah. But, you know, spending one to get rid of it so you can open up the sky again is, like, not a bad position. I mean, this is obviously, Blackout the Sky is the worst against, like, a Styre's Beckoning. It is. Because then that Styre's Beckoning protects any other flyer they have from Blackout the Skies. Right. Yeah. But I, I do think, like, it just has, like... Surpri surprisingly more use and it's just like so cheap and it's also kind of interesting that you brought up this card specifically because this card does get a shout out in uh, Shab's article where better up one of the things that uh, he focuses on in the article is how flyer centric this format is and so one of the things he repeated in the article is you're just looking for as much interaction for enemy flyers as you can get. And so cards like Blackout the Sky are important if your view of the format is is such. Yeah. Um and I'm not gonna I think better ups um take on the format may be a little different from mine in that respect. I <laughs> do think that flyers are good, and for a long time um, in the first version of this format, before the deck switched around, 
um, or for before the packs switched around, uh, I was having a lot of success just playing straight justice with a bunch of like one one flying Valkyries, uh, beckoning and um, and metalcraft cadet and that kind of thing, and those those were those were reasonable decks, but I don't think of those as flying decks specifically. I think of them as basically like go wide decks that are sort of hard, just making hard to block units. Um, and like Blackout the Skies would have been terrible against those decks. Yes. And so I think like the most effective way to battle Skies decks is to just play good ground units because they're bigger and faster. Like one of the best aggressive units in this format is Barricade Basher, which is not a flyer. And it's not the only way to get a big advantage on the ground quickly. So I don't know. Um, I think like if you tend to if you have a play style where you end up in a lot of board stalls and then those get broken by um, by flyers, then yeah, I just haven't noticed that this that this format is any more flag centric than any other. And also because there are so many flyers, it's not hard to interact with them. Like you just have flyers in your own deck. Like the, yes. if a deck has if if a format has very few flyers, then those are amazingly valuable because they might as well say unblockable on them. But in this format, you can just battle in the air with other with opposing flyers. Like I've never had a deck where I had trouble interacting with the air, like because there's so many ways to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean. I have a very small sample size of, you know, my own experience, but it, in these last few weeks, like my, all of my winning decks are with these like, well, yeah, my three, seven, one runs, I think all three of them were like Argent port dish, just like flyers. And I'm always just shocked at how many decks just get there with like a bunch of one one flyers or or two one flyers, and you're just like, how is? I don't understand how this is winning a race. I don't understand how I'm killing my opponent with this, but they're not able to interact with this many little flyers, and those decks seem to just like get there, at least in my experience. And I've lost to opponents that have done that. Um, and so it's just like kind of a weird thing where I, I agree there are a lot of flyers and a lot of them are small, but I guess I feel like they're underplayed. And so you're not, we're not getting into these air stalls where everyone just has a whole bunch of one, one flyers. It just seems like you're, you're still able to exploit just these little flyers and your opponent can't handle that well, many. there aren't there aren't a ton of defensive air units in the format. A lot of them have like one uh, one health or something. Mm-hmm. You know, there'll be like three ones or something. But um, and and so it, it tends to be like the with those air battles, uh, whoever had the most flyers will eventually win. But that's still like that's that's essentially. Um, that's essentially just attacking and blocking in the air, you know, like it's still uh, like they can't deal with all of the tokens, but then you're just playing go wide, but in the air, Uh, it's, it's different from like the way that flyers some win in some formats where you have the only flyer and then either your opponent has removal for it uh, 
or or they die like that it's it, it because so many of the flyers uh don't survive uh one fight because they have no health to speak of um i don't know they just i i guess i agree with you but i guess my point and this is kind of losing losing the thread of your card of the week is kind of like how we once talked about how with bashers you just like your deck needs a plan to deal with bashers and i find the same to be true with sort of like dinky go wide flyers you know you just your deck needs be it your own flyers be it some kind of flyer interaction i think you're you will win more games if your deck has a plan to deal with a bunch of one ones or two one regen flyers um yeah that's it, true yeah and i agree that blackout disguise specifically is like not a great answer to like a go wide flyer deck but i think it can be part of a larger package you know like if you if you have your your own styers beckonings you can trade off with their little guys which then allows blackout disguise to deal with their big guy or whatever yeah i don't know yeah that's true um yeah i i don't know um i think that that's uh i think there's a lot of ways that i just think that there's a lot of ways to deal with flyers that aren't all uh that don't necessarily say kill a flyer on them yeah uh and therefore i think black out the skies because of how the thing is like i think I, I think it's sort of the the perfect example of one of those cards that feels great when it works and is forgotten about when it doesn't work because i see my opponents play it against me sometimes um at a time when it really hurts me i'm like oh i guess that is a good card to have in your deck and that but when they don't play it against me and it's sitting in their hand i don't see them play it the it, it just happened to be useless against me for that game and sometimes i have opponents ruefully play a blackout the skies uh against me when i'm about to win that that happens occasionally just to show me what they had in their hand and it's like well yeah. i was holding on to this and you never played a flyer so uh i lost and i'm like yeah that was, it was a blank card and i think uh there's plenty of games where they're holding a blackout and they they don't they just don't cast it um anyway of uh, uh, point being that I think it's fine to play one main deck, but I never do, and I'm doing really well. <laughs> yes, and you would definitely not play three. No, I definitely wouldn't play three. I, I, I think, I, I think it's also a perfect example of a card that is justifiable uh, as a single copy. But the case, the times, like the 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 specific times when it it is very good are only going to happen once per game. Um, and then maybe not at all. So the idea of playing multiples, so you definitely have at least one in your hand when you might not encounter a situation in the game where you even need it, uh, is, is, is crazy. But I can see why if you had a good experience with it a couple of times, you'd be like, oh, well, I'm going to play as many copies of this as I can get because it's a good card, because I played it and it won me games. Uh, but that's uh, just a fallacy in logic. Um, in at least eternal logic, you have yeah. to uh, you have to judge how many copies of a card you actually want, even if it's good sometimes, and if it's the kind of card that you want to jam as many as uh, as possible into your deck, like Styrus Beckoning, I guess. 
where it's better the more you're playing of it. Or if it's like this, where really like multiple copies uh, are, are like shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah. <sighs> I agree. All right. So we'll move on to our seven win run breakdown. And uh, we'll blow through this because we do want to get on to our main topic eventually. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and I also did, haven't really done much with the data recently. But uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, we collect seven win decks at uh, farmingeternal at gmail.com or on our Discord in the Seven Wind channel. Um, they're there for everyone to look at, uh, to talk about. I think there it is helpful to kind of skim through to see what people are winning with and how they're building their decks. So that's a great resource for that. Um, and then we also take the information, we put it in a spreadsheet. So uh, you can look at what factions are doing well. Um, see all of the decks that have gotten seven win runs in uh in set 10 and um also we give a shout out to everyone who submitted a deck um so thank you uh to abinego alabazoo ash acer beard broken collector cotillion psychologist darth herman two d dubs disc golf dan fast cookie fs forward sound gunner 116 hats on lamps Honky, It Belong No, Jandy, Jed the Humred, Meadow, Patamaro, Raven Dragon, Shab, Steve Irwin, Tempest Dragon King, and Vader. Uh, thank you all for taking the time to submit a deck. Uh, and also thank you to John Holio for um, for entering all the lists each week. But yeah, so uh, same thing. Is uh, The only interesting thing is in the last two weeks, we're slowly, slowly converging on win rates. So I think uh, these past two weeks, people have been exploring a little bit, which means uh, Fire, Shadow, and Justice are all sort of tied up in the, in the low 40s. But uh, Time and Primal are now in the low 30s. So it's sort of moving up there, kind of, you know, so we're, we're converging a little bit. So people are exploring and winning with other things and if we all start drawing um drafting five color decks then uh you know we're going to throw this data for a loop yeah it'll confuse things um but i don't think we're in any danger of that happening because most people are still winning with uh with these sort of focus decks more focus decks that happen to be open yes which i think is a a, probably a, a smart way to draft Oh, sure. Uh, as long as that deck comes together, yes. uh, then by all means, draft a great deck. <laughs> all right, so let's move into talking about these five-faction drafting decks. Hats. All righty. Well, um, I think we're in an unusual situation in the, the draft packs right now. I think this kind of goes with what we were... Um, what we were talking about, about general strategy a couple of episodes ago, the, that I was having a lot more success when I uh, started staying a lot more open in the first pack and and taking fixing if there wasn't an exciting card and uh, really just going with whatever happens to be open in pack two because pack two is where most of the strength in this format is now since that's set 10 and it's got... Uh, you know, all of the all of the focus and synergy and everything are are there now, and so I guess we're taking that 
idea one step further here and saying that taking fixing in the first pack is the strategy because there's quite a bit of fixing available now and uh and and not uh, even bothering to look and see what is open in pack two but simply take any card that you want to play and trust that you have enough fixing to play it um and so I want to talk about uh, not just this particular format, but what you should look for um, to decide whether uh, a draft format is is uh, is a favorable one for drafting five color um, at any time. Because sometimes these conditions come up, and uh, it'll, five color will be good for a little while, and you want to be able to take advantage of that because uh, it's always nice to be able to, to spot that an archetype is open or that a faction is open and go into it and really get a lot of gifts that way. But that doesn't happen every draft. I would say it doesn't happen often, at least not to me. And so um, it's really great to have another option, like another invisible path through the packs, uh, and be able to go into five color without worrying about whether that's going to work because you've tried it and you have a general strategy for that. So. The conditions that make it favorable for five-color drafting. Uh, the draft packs um, have to have abundant fixing in them. And currently, there's so much. Seek Power is, is uh, boosted. Bannerman is boosted. Veteran Strategist, the 0-4 with the ultimate ability that can produce any influence, is boosted. Seats, uh, the power that gives you two, um, two factions uh, and often undepleted and tokens all boosted um and that means like you probably can come out of the first pack with with six pieces of fixing uh right away and maybe they're not all you know maybe they don't all go together but if you're trying for a spread across all five factions uh it doesn't matter if they go together just the more fixing you can jam in your deck the better <laughs> uh so that has to be true because if you don't have enough fixing then uh if, then if you draft five color and just sort of put three of each sigil in your deck and four of a few of them, then you're just hoping to win by sheer chance. <laughs> and you're also hoping that your opponent doesn't do anything while you sit around and wait for your deck to come together. So that's, you do, you do need the fixing. Um, another condition is that the draft packs, the curated draft packs, will probably have generally weak cards uh, in the non-power card selection. Because if you're taking fixing instead of strong cards, you're missing out on your value. You're missing out on the strength of your deck, and you're probably going to lose to people who are taking strong cards uh, by the mere definition of strong cards. Uh, you don't want to be in a position where you're like, I'm going to draft five color and I'm going to, I need the fixing. So I'm taking all of that in the first pack and I'm passing up like five bonds. You don't want to do that. Uh, you're, we're in a situation right now where there's not very many good cards other than fixing in, in the first pack. Um, so you're kind of free to use those picks on something valuable. And in this case, fixing, uh, if, if something is open in the first packs, and sometimes it is, and you can get a bunch of playable cards in one faction, that's totally fine. Um, this is just an option that you have, given that you're probably not going to see that many cards that you're super excited about. And also, uh, the since the switch around of the packs and making different cards boosted, 
most of the cards available don't have any particular synergy with set 10 in pack two. So like, it sort of doesn't matter if you pick up cards that are playable in the first pack, cause they're not going to go with your deck anyway. <laughs> you don't know what your mm-hmm. deck is going to be. And you're just sort of hoping that you get a few playable cards out of that first pack. Um, and also just the mere fact that the draft packs are, are first, uh, you get a whole pack full of, uh, cards that aren't particularly synergistic because set it's a draft format uh, centered around set 10 and that's where most of your strength and most of your synergy and the theme of your deck is going to be uh, so the first pack is uh, you can do almost anything with uh, you can go for all fixing you can try for playable cards um, but the the fact that uh, you, you have to be so open in this format means that you have the freedom to pick up um, fixing and power cards and things uh, and not worry that you're wasting picks. That This is not the only time that this has happened. It happens fairly frequently, at least once per, um, per draft cycle, per set. There's going to be a period where uh, the draft packs are the first and fourth packs, and uh, fixing is going to be as the, like, the, some, sometimes the strongest cards in the packs. And, uh, and, and Direwolf seems to like to put us through a few weeks at least every cycle of just terrible draft packs with no playable cards in them. So this is one thing you can do when they do that instead of just collapsing in misery, which I did last format. (laughs) Yeah. What's really uh, interesting to me is when I think of five faction decks, I, I, I feel like there's two ways that they can form. And uh, one is like you said, where you, like I think with with these five faction decks that we're talking about with this format specifically, you really kind of are going into the draft with the plan of possibly drafting five factions. Do not you know what I mean? Not necessarily. You can do that for sure. You can be more open to drafting five color and therefore like leaning towards taking power cards instead of uh, filler. But I drafted two seven win five color decks in a row. And the second mm-hmm. one, the one that went seven zero, I was not planning to draft five color and I didn't get that much fixing in pack one. Uh, and it ended up being five color anyway. <laughs> And, and and that was because I didn't see a clear direction in pack two and three. And so I just said, I'm gonna just I'm gonna just make this five color and really prioritize fixing in the last pack because I don't want to take a bunch of mediocre cards uh just trying to fit into two factions. Uh I don't want a consistent weak deck. I would rather have a strong, inconsistent deck, and I hopefully will be able to make it consistent by the end. Mm-hmm. And so, so you do view this five faction deck then as a potential off ramp to a draft with unclear signals. Yes, I think that's one of the main thing. One of the main positives about having it as a potential strategy is that you can avoid a train wreck with it. Um, okay. Because a lot of the time in this format, especially uh, uh, drafts the signals will be so bad <laughs> that you can't avoid a train wreck without doing something weird with your draft. Um, 
and I think it helps to have a coherent plan. So when you're making bad picks, you can make the picks that will you can make the picks that will fit into a five color control deck um, if you manage to pull one together, rather mm-hmm. than picking stuff that's just sort of generally good cards. If uh, if it turns out that a couple of factions actually are open, even though they don't seem to be, which I think that's kind of the default, right? Like that's my instinct a lot of the time. It's like, oh man, this is this draft is not going well. I'm just going to try to stay on faction and hope things come together. Um, and so I end up taking a whole bunch of mediocre cards, and I've got too many three drops. And uh, I do have a playable, consistent deck, but it's not strong. But if you know that. Uh, that a deck with inconsistent signals where the the strong cards are going to be all over the place is what's happening. And that's okay because you know how to draft five color and you're comfortable doing that. Then you just have a whole weapon in your tool belt. Uh, I guess you put tools in tool belts, not weapons. You've got a whole tool in your belt uh, that you might, that somebody else might not have. uh, And you can salvage and you can salvage the train wreck before it goes off the tracks. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, tools, yeah. Tools, weapons, it's trains. interesting to view it that way because, like, things like that make me a little nervous because you're really then hoping your pack four has to be kind to you. It does, but you can set yourself up in pack one by getting whatever fixing there was, and so you uh-huh. don't have to like completely rescue it with pack four because you don't want to be in that position either, where you have to totally rescue your draft in pack four because it just might not come together. Who knows? Right. But you can ease the pain of that by uh, by drafting in a way in pack one, where if things go off the rails, you can at least you've at least got enough fixing to play a few weird splashes, if not go completely five color. Yeah, well, I guess, but I guess that gets back to my original point, where I do think this strategy is advantaged if you're at least keeping it in the back of your mind, and therefore prioritizing fixing even in pack one even if you're not like i'm taking this fixing because i want to draft a five color deck you're like i'm taking this fixing over a marginally playable card that might be in a color that looks sort of open because there's a potential that pack two and three will be totally different and i do want an off ramp yeah totally yeah I think that is kind of interesting. And I do think that is a very valid strategy for this particular format because, because it's uniquely set up where pack one and four are so weak and then pack two and three don't have a lot of fixing, but because pack one and four do have so much, you know, you can, you can get enough fixing if you prioritize it at the right times to sort of splish splash around and make an overall stronger deck as compared to, I think in some formats, um, you know, what can happen is if there's enough fixing in pack two and three also, you know, in the core set or whatever, you can kind of go into it the other way where you're just like not really thinking about a five color deck, but then all of a sudden your deck is train wrecking and you have more time you have more time to salvage a train wreck by going five color. I think in this format, you need to be keeping it in your mind a little earlier because I, for me, I'd be uncomfortable totally relying on pack four for all my fixing. 
Oh yeah, but that's uh, that's why I think you you're more likely to say, oh, I, I'm drafting a multicolor deck. Um, if you do manage to get a bunch of fixing in pack one, like I I had, you know, I did well with a deck uh, where I did where I um, off ramped into five color, but that I, I got a little lucky. <laughs> um, it's. Uh, you you definitely want to set yourself up for success in a variety of strategies with your picks in pack one, but I would say one of the differences in in drafting uh, to to keep yourself open uh, so that you can go into any faction that happens to be open in pack two um, and and drafting so that you're likely to go into five color if it seems like the best option is that you'll take strong multicolor cards in pack one that aren't cautious picks like cards like night of sorrow mm -hmm. and uh the displays the display spells that are three that require three colors of influence and you'll take those happily and aggressively because you expect to be able to play them um if you're drafting to stay open, you don't take those cards over fixing. But if you're drafting thinking like five color is a real option from the beginning, you'll take those cards because those are the reason you're playing five color. Right. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. So what are some other benefits of five color drafting? Well, after a certain point, once you know that that's what you're doing, you can take the best card in every in every pack. Uh, the card that you most want to play without too much regard for what it costs. Uh, and that's great because sometimes, I mean, we all know what it feels like to be locked into a deck and then see a good card in an, another faction and go, uh, should I have made other choices in my life? You can just take it <laughs> and play it and put, put it in your deck. It's nice. It's a good feeling. Um, and then I think another advantage, and this is relevant for me, um, uh, because I ha I get I get matched against like, some of the best players in the game constantly, and it's emotionally tiring. They don't know what I'm gonna what I have in my deck if I'm playing if I'm playing four or five colors. Uh, th th you get to a point with uh, with like combat tricks and stuff where because you're playing against people who refuse to put bad cards in their deck, you almost always know what they're playing when you see that pause. Like I know to like 80% certainty when somebody is playing side slash at this point. You know, it's just like, oh, I know they have side slash and now my job is to minimize the damage of side slash. And it always is. It's almost always side slash. Um, but if my opponent ha is, has like one of each color of influence, I don't know. I don't know what that pause is. It could be literally anything. So that's a huge advantage for the person playing uh, all that, all, all of that, all of that rainbow influence, um, and it's a real advantage too. If you're, especially if you're playing against really good players, because they're the ones that can really um, deal with what you're doing if it's predictable. If you're unpredictable and you're playing unusual cards, uh, that's in draft. They uh, then you you have you have a big advantage. Um, they don't know what to save their removal for. Uh, and they don't know what tricks to play around. And then the, another advantage is that you get to play combinations of cards that you don't normally get to play. And this is where I get to talk about my Relic deck that I drafted. It had a Lethrite Courtier in it. Um, and I also had a Watchwing support, 
which is the two justice uh, relic um, that gives plus two plus two to the next weapon or unit that you draw and continues to give plus two plus two to the next weapon or unit you draw every time you play an attachment. I don't normally get to play those two cards together uh, because time, shadow, and justice are not supported in set 10 particularly. But they're super good together. <laughs> Every time you play an attachment, you draw power and then buff the next thing in your deck. And because Lethrite Courtier uh, draws the next power in your deck instead of a random power, it makes it more likely that you will draw the buffed card sooner. Um, so that was a super fun thing. I did not lose any games where I had both of those cards down. Yes. And, uh, and then uh, in the other deck that I had, the 7-0 deck that really shouldn't have worked because it didn't have any particular theme, I was playing Blight Petal and Metal Fang. Now, Metal Fang's a great card anyway, and it was a, the reason, one of the reasons why that deck went 7-0. Uh, but Blight Petal is the uh, Primal Shadow. Uh, it costs three Primal Shadow. It's a 3-3 Mandrake. Every time you sacrifice a unit, all of your units get plus one strength and uh, until the end of the turn, and you get... Uh, your spells do plus one damage till the end of the turn. Um, I had never had Light Petal and Metal Fang in the same deck before, but they're uh, real cute together because Metal Fang uh, sacrifices things and then gets plus one, plus one. Oh, it's plus one, plus one, not plus one strength. And then got plus one, plus one, so it was hitting for six instead of uh, five uh, every time it used its ability because Light Petal. And could have hit for more because Light Petal would have buffed it again. So it was it was it was super amusing, <laughs> and I was playing Blight Petal because it might as well be a three three for for no influence, uh, um, and uh, and it was it was easy it was almost easier to play than like a three three that requires two influence of a particular type. Not that there's a ton of those running around, but it was just like oh, it's a three three that occasionally has a benefit. Yeah, when I had them both down, I won that game. Ah, good times. There's probably other good unusual combinations of cards that you find, but and uh, part of the fun of drafting five color is that every pick is an opportunity to find one of those. Like you'll see some cards, and then you can just say, "Hey, does this good card go with any of the cards in my deck?" It does. Great. I'm going to play these cards together and see what happens. Yeah, one of the cards that one of the synergies you mentioned. Um, when we were talking before the show is like a card like Tainted Mark, which is, uh, you know, in a weird spot because Primal doesn't have a ton of flyers, but, you know, becomes a lot more exciting when you get access to Justice, Shadow, and Fire, which all have a lot of flyers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's that was highlighted in in Chab's article uh, in one of in one of Better Up's decks that he references. Um, uh, playing two tainted marks, not normally a thing that you can do in this format, but because you're, those are probably going to draw a bunch of cards every game. If you're also playing fire, fire justice shadow, seems like a great choice. Mm-hmm. All right, and then I think the final thing, and this is also hi- highlighted with what you said with blight petal, is one of the nice things is if your influence is good enough and you can really play any card that you want, um, you can do things like play uh, an off-color dual faction 
three drop because your deck needs more three drops. And the same can be said with two drops. And so you're able to, to sort of fill out your curve and fill out the holes in your deck much easier because you're not sort of restricting yourself to two colors. And, you know, like your example before is when you have a really, you're like, I'm sticking to fire and time or whatever. And then all of a sudden you find yourself with like eight, three drops or, you know, 12, three drops or whatever. And you're just like, well, this is not like exactly what I was hoping for the, the curve of my deck or the, yeah. Um, yeah. And so, and you don't necessarily have a choice. Uh, a draft can look good in the first half and then just not come together later because you've committed to something that what that where the cards just didn't, didn't come for you. Yes. Um, this, oh. this mitigates that damage. And also because you've got access to the removal in all five factions, if you don't have enough interaction, you can probably find it. Yes. Um, all right. And then what are the pitfalls of five-color drafting? Well, you can end up with a super inconsistent deck. Uh, <laughs> that's the main thing. I mean, the, 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 the most obvious reason why you wouldn't want to draft five colors is that your deck can just simply lose to itself. Uh, you, can, uh, you can avoid that by... Um, by making it as consistent as possible. Um, but there are going to be times when your opening draw is, is, uh, is uh, all of the wrong sigils for the, for the other cards in your hand. And you just have to keep those cards and hope it goes well. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's, I, I think that, part of the problem with that is the psychology of it like it feels bad when your deck loses to itself instead of your opponent um uh, just the way like power flood or power screw uh feels worse than just your opponent running you over um but i think you have to just accept that that's a possibility uh but that it's a still a kind of a small possibility if you've drafted pretty well then there's a chance that any deck can lose to itself and that's just that's how five color loses to itself is it simply can't play its cards <laughs> uh it doesn't happen that often if your deck is pretty good and uh and because you you've kind of got your influence spread out across all five factions uh there are strong cards that require double influence in a single faction that are a little harder to play it doesn't mean that you definitely shouldn't play them. Like you probably should still play send to market and just make sure that you get two justice by the time you hit five power. But um, they're not like the slam dunk cards that they normally are because they are going to be trickier to play. You don't want to be worrying about getting all five colors out. You don't want to be worrying about uh, having all five uh, all five colors and doubling up on a couple in the first couple of turns in the game. You want to ease the stress of making your deck work uh, during the game. So maybe not double up on influence on a lot of cards in all across the rainbow. Uh, and then also, so this is where I'm going to diverge from better ups advice again uh, I think that you pretty much have to play a control or a value deck because uh, your early game is often spent making sure that you can play your other cards and you don't have the luxury of also having an aggressive start. Um, uh, both of the decks that I played 
uh, in this strategy this week were pretty slow decks. Like a lot of the games were very slow. And that felt comfortable to me. Like there were a lot of games, in fact, where my opponent had a very aggressive start and I just kind of stabilized and then gradually ground them down. Um, and that felt right. It felt like that. It was easier to make my picks during the draft that way. But better up advised uh, just drafting aggressive five color decks, basically, uh, keeping your curve really low and um, and playing for tempo. And I don't know. Uh, I think I, I, I would have to try it. I, I feel like uh, one of the defining characteristics of an aggressive deck is that it has to be incredibly consistent or you can't win because your aggressive cards are going to be outclassed by anybody playing a slower strategy. So you really need to be, play, be playing everything on curve all the time and some of the fixing is stuff like seek power and tokens which essentially is uh is un is a depleted power so you can't play on curve and so i think uh, unless you get lucky and you have a lot of seats uh so you um so all of your power is undepleted even though you're playing multi-faction i think it would be almost impossible to draft a really strong aggressive deck that's spread across five colors but you know, I'm not. I would never say that I'm a better player than Better Up because Better Up consistently does it as well as I do. So, uh, I I would just I just don't know how to draft that way. Yeah. Well, I guess what's kind of interesting to me, touching on uh, you know Better Up's decks and advice specifically, like one thing he to two uh, pieces of advice that jumped out to me is one was your trying to fill your deck with as many one, two, and three drops as you can. And his theory on that is, like, you want to be aggressive in this format. You want to be the beatdown. You want to gain tempo. And then also having a very low curve is a benefit because it makes depleted power less painful after turn three. Because you'll still be able to play your three drop if, you know, your fourth power gives you the influence you need, even if it's depleted. I think that that does make sense. I, I think that's it. I think that's how I approach every deck in this format, though, is I really like that that one, two and three slot uh, wants to be pretty well populated. Like I get nervous if I've got too many four drops in this format because a lot of starts are so fast. But I don't think yes. that necessarily means your deck has to win quickly. I think it means that you need to be able to defend yourself against very aggressive decks. Yes, and that's the um, yeah one of the interesting things because I think if you look at the deck lists that were highlighted in the article, they did not shout out to me five color aggro. No. You know, like. They shouted out to me a five-color deck with some value cards as well as some low-curve cards to stay alive at the beginning of the game, which I think is actually what you are advocating for. You know, like, it's hard to convince me that a, a deck with two tainted marks can be classified as a... A, a tempo aggro deck 
Oh yeah, but I think um, I, I think this is just a case of like BetterUp has a general approach to drafting this kind of deck, and the decks that Shab highlighted are not necessarily the best examples of that. Because like the ideal is something that isn't necessarily represented in those two lists. Yes. No, I think that's that's very possible too, but that's sort of uh, unknowable to me currently. Sure. No, we don't have that information. That's true. Um, but but I, I think the deck lists that were highlighted in that article are more in line with how you would advocate drafting a two color deck. Oh or yeah, absolutely. Those they look a lot like the decks that I drafted. Like generally speaking, like in the in the basic strategy of like, oh, I can play any bomb I see, and then also stuff that supports them, that kind of thing. Um, but they're they're not like incredibly quick decks. They're decks that generate value over over time, and also present threats from a lot of different directions, which is what uh, five color is also good at. It's like if your opponent can beat this strategy, well, maybe they can't beat this other thing that I'm doing. All right. So then uh, what are some guidelines for drafting these five? I do want to mention one more pitfall because it's, I think, uh, a misconception Mm. about five color um, is that because you can pick any good card in any pack that you'll end up with nothing but good cards in your deck. But because you have spent so many picks on fixing you're going to end up a little short on playables anyway and have to play some filler cards because they there aren't enough extra picks in an eternal draft where you can afford to just not play any of the filler you picked up <laughs> you don't have you don't have enough like you just you, you just you just can't you don't end up with enough leeway um, so if you're going to spend like 10 10 picks on uh on fixing and cards that uh that uh, like lethrite courtier that sort of make your influence easier um you just don't have enough picks left to have every single card be a haymaker after that you have to be careful about that if you're drafting five color is uh is when you're making if there's just nothing good in a pack make a pick that you will probably end up playing whether it's like that two five that flies when you have a relic or just a three, three for three, that probably isn't going to be able to use its special ability. Just make sure that you're, you, you draft a curve with some uh, with, and be happy to play those filler cards, knowing that the filler cards allow you to play the stronger cards by taking up space on the board and giving you time. Yes. And I think that the, the sort of the corollary to that is, you know, don't dismay too much with when at the end of the draft, you're like, this is a pile of bad cards because yeah. you're going to notice a lot of filler cards because, like you said, you've spent so much time taking fixing and stuff. But hopefully those filler cards are filling in important spots of the curve and so end up pulling more weight than they might in um you know a two color deck or whatever where they might be like a little bit more awkward you know i'm looking at the outline that i made for the guidelines and i think we kind of touched on most of this stuff facing the fact that not every pack is going to have like a slam dunk card in it uh we just talked about that um 
And you want, I mean, you just want to draft, you basically want to draft like you normally do, uh, except that your options are more open and you've, uh, and you've spent the first, uh, the first pack and probably part of the fourth pack on fixing. You definitely want to play market cards because market cards give you options and some of the filler cards that you'll end up with can go in the market. Uh, I think they're I think they're better even better in this uh, because sometimes you're going to end up with multi-faction cards and if you end up with market cards in both of those factions then that strong multi-faction card is is going to be twice as playable it's le- almost like having two copies of it if you have like uh, if you have uh, well let's say Knight of Sorrow and you have and you have a Grafter in Shadow and a Grafter in Justice then you get to have uh, then you get to have a five-five life steal with either endurance or regen, which is great. Uh, <laughs> I won a lot of games with my seven-zero uh, uh, draft. Uh, I guess a lot is kind of weird. Probably two or three games uh, with that with that two-two flyer uh, in Felm. It's just a one shadow primal two-two flyer, and I had mm-hmm. that in my market, and I had a primal grafter and the shadow grafter, and so anytime I could. I would get that thing out of the market, make it a three-three with either Berserk or Regen, and just win the game with it. <laughs> and it seems like a small thing, but like that's it's a game-winning strategy <laughs> that I probably yes. wouldn't have done uh, if I hadn't been like if I hadn't seen that two-two flyer and thought, "Hey, I'm drafting five color. That's a really good card." <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I think that's an important point. I do want to touch about on your first point also with offensive bodies, prioritizing oh, sure. removal. Uh, yeah, I I um my I've found success, and again, this is just like two drafts, but this is my strategy for drafting control decks too. Is if I'm not sure what to pick in any given pack, I tend to take a uh I tend to take a unit that can stabilize. That, that meaning like a defensive kind of a unit like that two five um that's a flyer if you have a relic uh i don't feel like looking it up <laughs> is a is Sirocco a good, glider that's it yeah the glider uh it's a good pick because um it it deals with a lot of problems it doesn't deal with barricade basher but like you can't judge every card by whether it deals with barricade basher you're just gonna have to use a different card to get rid of that um but it blocks a lot and it blocks well and uh, just having something that can block a few turns w- will allow you to play your other cards because you're still alive. Uh, your opponent hasn't killed you, so you get to play your other cards. Great. That's what defensive cards are for. So I think it's a, a, a general, a good general strategy to just play uh, good bodies and removal of all kinds and then just try to play smart during the games. Um and I think that the difference between that and drafting like a two faction deck is that I it's you can draft uh, in your two faction deck to like an aggressive curve and uh, and feel a lot more confident in it because you know all of your cards are going to be sort of doing the same thing. Like if you're drafting fire and you're in two factions, because the fire cards in set ten. Are, are so like linked with each other and uh, and like help each other so well. Um, you're, you you can you can draft a, a bunch of aggressive cards and like be fairly sure that you'll pick up enough aggressive support cards to make that work. But if you're drafting five color, you can't say that that's what you're doing really, unless you're unless you're somehow drafting a five color aggressive deck. 
And uh, so I think a, it's a much safer bet to just draft defensive units in that case. So I'm looking for yeah. defensive units and removal and then things that qualify as bombs one way or another, like Metal Fang or Death Wing, you know, the kind of cards where if your opponent doesn't deal with them, they're going to win the game. Um, and and if you and one of the and like the advantage of five color is that your entire deck can be that which is a coherent strategy, defensive cards, removal and bombs um, and nothing else that you'll win games that way. Yeah. Yeah. And so how would you where would you fit fixing in, in, in this or is that I, a separate? Uh, yeah. I mean, fixing is what lets you play the other cards. Um What's great is if a card is all is is uh, is both of those is is more than one uh, of those categories, like um, like veteran strategist is a zero four which blocks very well. Uh, it only costs one; it's efficient, and then it makes whatever influence you want, um, and also makes whatever influence you want whenever you need it. Uh, one of the weird things about playing at the beginning, like the first few turns of a five color deck is sometimes you'll have something like a token or a banner man in hand, and you're not sure which influence to get because uh, like your deck needs all five and you're not sure what you're going to draw. And maybe you don't need a specific influence of a card, like of a card in your hand. Like you can play all the cards in your hand, but you, uh, and you have three colors of influence uh, and you can make fire or justice, but you don't know whether you're going to draw a fire card or a justice card, so you don't know what Bannerman needs to do. The veteran strategist can just sit there until you draw the fire card or the justice card and then hook you up with it. Um, so it's probably the very best card to draft. Luckily, it's just generally a good card. So it fills two, um, it fills two roles, and left-right courtier is the same uh, is the same thing. It's a zero-three, which can block a lot of units, uh, especially in the early game, and then draws you cards and fixes your influence later. Although it fixes your influence randomly, but it still does it. I th- I think the final thing to keep in mind when drafting five-color decks is well, <laughs> the main thing is your influence and making sure your early drops are of Try, try to narrow the band on your early plays and then widen it as you get later in the game. And this doesn't necessarily mean that like all your one and two drops need to be in your same two or three faction. Like, um, but the cards that you want to play early really should be in a main. I, I think I, at least the two decks I've drafted you know, I've been trying to keep a main a, a main two or three factions and then splash your third, fourth, and fifth color a little bit yeah, more. I think that's a good way of looking at it. And uh, you can also look at it as, um, as like, the cards that use, that, that um, are maybe the less dominant factions in your deck are cards that are good at any time in the game. Like a Bastion Gatekeeper, for example, uh, has Plunder, and therefore I would be okay with playing it in a faction that I know I'm not necessarily going to have influence for early in the game. It's better if I have influence for it early in the game, but because Bastion Gatekeeper is relevant as any time in the game, usually, um, I'm okay with drawing it later, using its Plunder, 
um, and then you know doubling doubling its size and trading with a four drop. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I think it's I th uh, like I, one way to look at it is that you're splashing three, two or three of the factions in your deck, but your main deck is 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 two or three factions. Uh, but another way of looking at it is that the is that some of your cards need to be played at a particular point in the game to have the most value. And so those are the ones that you want to be consistent with and have most of your influence concentrated there. If um, And then some of your cards are going to be always good. And, and, and those are the ones where you can, you have time to hunt for the influence if necessary. You might draw the influence for your Bastion Gatekeeper uh, right away and then you play it on two. Or you might like hunt around for that justice and then use it as a plunder to draw a card let's say that's how bastion gatekeeper normally is but in five color in particular uh you know you have to frame it as a card that's always useful rather than as a two drop yes and um uh one other point with influence is these double influence cards um, I think in general, you're trying to minimize the number of double influence cards you play. I, or I think, and this is what I've tried to do, is make your double influence cards your main faction. Because two is a lot harder to hit with one. Um, and But there are some really strong double influence cards, you know, like you mentioned, Send to Market. You really, that's a great card that you really want to play in, in a value control deck. Um, you know, there are sort of game-winning cards like a, a Spore Spitter that uh, um, Better Up had in a bunch of the deck lists shown in Shab's article. You know, that's a great card that, um, you know, if you're playing sort of a, a later game deck that you want to be able to drop and that can just win a game on its own uh you know another card that came up for me a bunch is the um is the four two that grows bigger with the cost of your your biggest relic and has lifesteal um the five justice justice i found that a great card because like we've kind of talked about is my five color decks so far have had a lot of relics that is a great stabilizing force but it requ requires double justice. Yeah, and so it's going to come into the it's going to come into the game a little bit later. But it's okay if it comes into the game a little bit later because it's a stabilizing card. Yeah, not a I, card that has to be played on curve. I think what you're trying to avi avoid is uh, a fire, fire, time, time, <laughs> justice, justice, primal, primal, shadow, shadow, kind of. Yeah, you're trying to avoid that, and you're also trying to avoid like. Uh, um, like a card that costs, uh, you know, uh, th three fire fire, and a card that costs three shadow shadow, um, and a card that costs just one primal, and try to somehow think, well, you know, I'm probably only because you're putting yourself in a position where you're probably only going to play one card on the first three turns. Um, it's going to be one of those, but it's not going to be all of them. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's the what's the three primal primal two one that um or that plunders? Yeti top um, patroller. Yeti top patrol, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I think Yeti Taunt Patroller is kind of a uh, interesting, interestingly bad card for uh, five color decks, in uh, my opinion. You, it's a deck I had in my one of my five color decks that I had uh, this week, and it was consistently horrible. Obviously, it's not a great card as it is, but like we kind of talked about, sometimes you're short on playables. You end up, these five color decks can play a lot of like mediocre looking cards. But the issue with this card is it's a three cost card that's not super great late, late in the game, but it's double primal, which can be hard to get when you're trying to play five factions. But also, interestingly, I found plunder to be not bad but not as good as you would think in these five faction decks because what i found is you can't really rely on plunder to get you the influence you need because first off you're playing a lot of multi-faction cards which makes plundering them a crapshoot and then secondly you're often looking for a certain influence because you want to play the card in your hand yeah, you don't have two of the card in your hand. Yeah, yeah. the The conditions for that need to be that you have two cards in your hand that you can't play, and you have a plunder card in your hand that you can play. <laughs> and like that's unlikely to occur very often. Uh, I will. I'm looking at the. I'm looking at the seven zero deck right now, and I'm looking at how much plunder. I have in it, and there is one card that plunders exactly. <laughs> I have yeah. one Okessa's audience in it, and it was fine. I never had trouble playing my cards. Yeah. Um, all of the, and, all of the fixing came from other sources. Yeah, and I'm definitely not saying that plunders bad in five color decks because it's still always great in the late game to plunder uh, power into card draw. The the point is don't think of plunder as a way to play your cards no no it's 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 a good ability but it's not going to save you in a bad situation i mean it can but don't count on it yeah all right so i think that was a pretty good overview of how we've been drafting five color decks yeah uh yes it is thank you <laughs> yeah, feel fine about it. Yeah, um, yeah it's a difficult thing to do because uh, it's a difficult thing to talk about. I'm realizing as we do this episode, just because uh, so much of it is sort of unintuitive, and you have to try it. Um, but I will say that while I was drafting those decks, it felt there's a feeling that you get when you're drafting and you're making strong choices, and you don't always get to have that feeling. Um, at least I don't. Uh, sometimes I get to just get through a draft and it's like, well, that went okay, I guess. It was hard to tell. I made a lot of picks and I don't know why I made all of them. Um, but when I was drafting both of these decks, it felt like I was drafting... Uh, it felt like I was making picks that were, like, smart. You get sort of a, oh, I'm powerful kind of a uh, feeling after making picks. And so I was making, especially with the 7-0 draft that looks like it shouldn't have worked, I was I was doing things like picking Lethrite Courtier, knowing that I had only one relic in the whole deck, and then ending up at the end still with only two relics in the entire deck, um, and still playing the Lethrite Courtier 
and knowing that that was the right choice somehow. <laughs> and I can't justify that with words. I just knew it was okay. Uh, it's a weird, it's a weird phenomenon. <laughs> but the, I think part of why it feels so good is that it goes against um, what, uh, the things that we as good drafters have trained ourselves to think. Uh, it, it's, it's an entirely, like, it's a strategy that really sort of uh, goes perpendicular to the to the drafting strategy that it that is justifiably used most of the time because uh, you know uh, finding the open lane and sticking with it is is a real solid strategy. Um, but the fact that you don't have to do that and that you can uh, go the exact opposite direction and still succeed means that you've got an edge over everyone that. Uh, doesn't feel capable of doing that. So I guess that's what it comes from, is just sort of a an unearned sense of superiority. I think that's what I'm advertising here. Is <laughs> getting drunk on your own power. I think it's really yeah. great. Well, why else play a, com- a competitive card, 1v1 card game, uh-huh. if not to get drunk on your own superiority? I don't know what I don't know what everyone else's motivations are, but I I but I play to have have uh, dangerous mood swings. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm in such a bad mood when I go on a losing streak, and it's such a good one when I when I'm on a winning streak. It's, yeah, it's super unhealthy, and I and I try to limit my exposure at this point. <laughs> I think that's a good uh, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 yes, too real. Um, yeah. But I, but on that note, um, you know, I think this is a good discussion on five color decks. I think next week we're gonna come back and we'll do a draft with five color in mind. Hopefully, kind of walking through the picks is sort of another angle to talk about these decks. Um, you know, with a little bit more practical, grounded, pick by pick advice for it. Uh, so. Hopefully the draft will uh, lead us in a <laughs> in a constructive direction, though mm-hmm. who knows? Because it's all random. Um, but thank you for listening, um, and uh, thanks to all our patrons for helping make a show this show a success uh, week after week. And a reminder to give us a five star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. You can join us in our Discord. With uh, there's a link in the show notes or on the Reddit post. Uh, finally, please thumbs up all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts about the show. I think it really helps get new listeners, which we always appreciate, and more people into the Discord talking. And don't forget to send in all your seven wind decks you do this week to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And remember to keep on farming. Have a good night. Goodbye. <laughs>